Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 339 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as ever, by former heavyweight world title challenger, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing this week, my man? I'm good, my man. How about you? Always good when speaking with you, Eddie. Always good when speaking with you. We're going to dive straight into the review part of the show. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to try my best to get through this because there were some fights that I... Uh, didn't see some fights that I did see, so um, I'm going to try to do my best here. I'm going to start with this one here. It took place at the Stad Hall in Brandenburg, Germany. Over here, Tom Schwartz, former opponent of Tyson Fury, moved to 27 and 1, a KO in the first round against Mohamed Ali Dermaz, who's now 32 and 31. As I said last week, he kind of knocks you out or gets knocked out. Moving out now to another part of Germany, because I wouldn't normally do this, but I'm going to do it. The Sport Hall Wiesek. This is in Hessen, Germany. And I'm going to this card because it's a one. There's one name on the on the on the undercard there that stuck out to me, and we spoke about him a couple of weeks ago, Eddie. He's had his second pro fight here. I'm sure you remember Daniel Diets um, managed to score a first round TKO against Adil Rasidi, who's now seven and fifty two. But back on to Daniel Diets, Eddie. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Daniel Diets has he put weight on or lost weight since his pro debut? His pro debut was about literally three on. weeks ago. Oh, he put weight on. Okay, yes. you're you're right. So I'm not sure what diet Daniel yes. Diets is on, but he's put on weight, which is <laughs> as you said, it's the seafood diet. He sees food and 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 puts it in his stomach. Uh, that's that's it for Daniel Diets. Two and zero now as a, as a as a heavyweight pro. I hope he goes on to bigger and better things and stays away from the buffet. Um, moving out now to the Super Arena in Japan. This one over here was a great fight, to be honest with you. Let's start with the undercard though before we get onto the main event. Junto Nakatani now twenty three and zero, a TKO in round eight against Ryota. Yamauchi, who's now 8-2. and two. It was for the WBO flyweight world title, Nakatani, with another knockout. I think that, I said it on last week's show, that one's not going the distance. Both men can crack, and, you know, I was right there. Um, and the other fight to mention was Shushiro Yoshino, who's now 15-0. and 0. A technical decision after 11 rounds. He won the fight, I think it was 107-102 on two cards and 106-103 on the other card. He was able to defeat former world champion Mas- um, Masayuki Ito, now 27-4 and 4 with a draw. Didn't see the fight, to be honest, but it was for the WBO Asia-Pacific lightweight title and the OFBF lightweight title. But the main event, it was a brilliant fight. Gennady Golovkin now 42-1 and with a draw. TKO in round 9 against Japan's Ryota Murata now 16-3. and It was for the WBA Super 
and the IBF middleweight world titles. Um, very good start to the fight, by the way, from Morata. I was quite surprised because I thought that he looked very nervous on the ring walk. He looked very nervous in the ring, and a few people picked up on that. They were saying as he lost this fight before it's even started. Something just didn't look quite right. But I would say that he you know, wasn't that phased, to be honest, with, with what was in front of him. And we saw that from as early as the first round. He seemed to be quite happy to trade with Golovkin. He was going to the body of, Golov- of, of Golovkin with big shots. And I think he probably grew in confidence, really, in the early parts of the, of the fight. You know, round one, round two, round three, even round four. But Gennady Golovkin even though he seemed to be feeling the pace of the fight, and he certainly looked slow, looked very flat-footed, he did eventually wear Morata down. And what we expected to happen, happened. He got the knockout. Um, I bet on that fight. The odds were quite good, so I, I got a decent return for the, the money on the knockout for Golovkin to happen. But I don't know, man. I've said it before. I don't want to see him in a third fight with Canelo, and I actually think that he should retire off the back of that. It's a big, it's a big win. He would have got paid a lot for going out to Japan. Morata is a big superstar over there, and he's knocked him out. You know, it's a, it's a great win. Um, I think, I think that's probably the only time he's been knocked out. I don't think he's been knocked out in his two losses. I think one was to Hassan and Dan. Even though I think. A lot of people felt that he still deserved to win the fight and not lose it. And the other loss, I can't even remember who he lost to now. But anyways, um, Golovkin looked really slow, as I say. Certainly slowed down the, the you know, he still got the power, but the volume wasn't there. He, he eventually broke him down, still got a great jab. And the power shots that he landed at times in the fight, I couldn't believe that that uh, Morata was taking him. So I think Morata's very tough. They were talking about he's got this incredible bone density, uh, much thicker than most human beings. But I don't know, man. Gennady Golovkin, I don't think he still has it like he does. As I say, still got the power, still got the great jab. Didn't seem like he had a great engine. Definitely the work rate's dropped. He's he's much slower. He, He seemed to get, I wouldn't say hurt, because he's got a supersonic chin, but definitely didn't like those body shots, and he got hit too much upstairs, but again, weirdly, didn't really get marked up. Um, All in all, I think he should walk away. I think he should walk away with that payday. He will go for the Canelo fight, because the payday for that's going to be crazy, but I don't want to see him get stopped. You know, this isn't the Golovkin of old. I think he's just turned 40 uh, on on the, the, I think it was the day of the way, and he turned 40, so... I'm a massive Golovkin fan, but I don't want to see him carry on. That's it for me. That really is it. He should stop there while he's, you know, getting a good win and a good payday. I don't want to see anything else from him. And he's a future Hall of Famer, let's be honest. 42-1 and with a draw. The one loss and the one draw were both very questionable at the very least. So what a career he's had. And those those fights, again, were against the pound-for-pound number one. Moving out now to the hangar in Costa Mesa, California, USA. This one over here, top of the bill, Michaela Mayo with a win. Friend of the show, now 17-0, a unanimous decision over 10 two-minute rounds, as I expected, to be honest. Um, almost a shutout. I think maybe one or two judges gave a, a round. Maybe Jennifer Han, who's now 18-5 and five with a draw. It was for the IBF and WBO female super featherweight titles. On the undercard, win for friend of the show, Andrew Maloney. He was able to knock out Gilberto Mendoza in the eighth and final round. Um, 
He's now 23-2. and two. Giovanni Santalam was able to knock out in round seven. Giovanni Barraza, a bit of a beat down there. Um, Santalam now 29-0. and 0. Elsewhere on the card, what else do we have? Jason Maloney with a win as well. He's now 23-2. and two, A unanimous decision over 10 rounds. Very wide in the end against Francisco Portillo. Moving out now to the Virgin Hotels, Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. This one was on Showtime. Let's talk about the undercard first. I didn't see this fight here and I apologize in advance, but Tony Harrison was able to beat very wide and very dominantly Sergio Garcia of Spain. That one was very surprising to me. I always thought that it would go the distance. It was for the, uh, for the vacant WBC silver super welterweight title, so it's a decent belt there. Tony Harrison with a good win, and the thing about Tony Harrison, I think he's a good boxer. He's got good tools and all the rest of it, but I, I, I've I've always kind of wondered about the gas tank. He's, he's really looked tired in fights and he's kind of struggled to keep the game plan up, really, because he runs out of steam and can't throw as many punches and it's clear. But, you know, and, and he's... I don't know if I'd say he's been chinny, but he's been hurt a few times. Um... But I, I really liked what I've, what I've heard about this performance. I didn't see it, like I say. So I'm happy for him. He's another friend of the show. Hopefully a big fight comes for him, you know, very soon. And the main event I'm going to just touch on, because I only saw a couple rounds and I'm gutted about this because people have told me it's fight of the year, so I need to rewatch it. I saw a couple rounds and I fell asleep. Erickson Lubin, now 24-2. and two. He ended up being pulled out in his corner after nine rounds against the towering inferno, Sebastian Fondora, now 19-0 and with a draw. Um, I think they actually had Lubin ahead, I believe, on at least one or two cards and a draw on the other card. Um, if I'm not mistaken. So Lubin actually ahead. He was down in round two. Fandora was down in round seven. It was for the WBC interim super welterweight world title. Um, you know what, Eddie? I'm going to hand it to you because you probably saw more of it than I did. And like I say, I remember Lubin going down. Um, I liked the, the uppercuts from Sebastian Fandora. As we say, it's freakish that he could probably sit back and box and use his, his size, his height and you know, the, the long the long um, reach and the jab and stuff that he has. He's got all of those tools, but he decides to throw them all away and opt to fight on the inside. And he's deadly with those uppercuts, man. Oh, my good Lord. He is deadly with them. And um, it led to Lubin not even looking like Lubin by the, by the time the fight was over. And Tony Harrison, in he didn't mince his words. He said that he thinks Lubin, if that was him, he'd want to retire. Lubin's a guy that's been hyped up and spoken about so much, and I couldn't really understand why for a long time. It was almost a little bit like, forgive me for this comparison, because it may be very off off, off the pace here, but I want to say a little bit like Juron Ennis. There was a lot of hype with Lubin. He was a certain future world champion. It was already written in, in the clouds, and you know I didn't think he had the wins to prove it. Jaron Ennis is another guy. He shouldn't be 26 or 27 and 0 with that resume. He's only got a couple of names on there. He's starting to step it up lately. But he's been nailed on for about five years that this guy is going to be the future. Well, not five years, but maybe the last two years that this guy is going to take over the division. He can beat Spence now. He can beat Crawford now. And it's like, whoa, hold up, man. Hold up. Let's not get carried away. But Lubin got in there with another prospect and by all accounts got battered to be completely honest. And, you know, people are calling for retirement. People are saying that's the end of him at that level. You tell me, Eddie, what did you what did you think of it from a fighter's perspective? Well, honestly, I'm with you. I didn't see much of it. I wanted to see it. I was actually watching the other card because uh, I 
had it on the zone and I had it on my phone, so, so I was able to watch it because I was out. I was, yeah, it was unfortunate, man. I really wanted to see. That was one of the ones I was looking forward to. I honestly, I'm one of the. I, I don't want to say I'm one of the few. I don't know. There may be more, but I was always really high, and I like I was. I'm always really high on Lou because he's just. He has. I feel like he has what it takes to be at the high level. The only problem is, I've seen him recently, and even with you know getting knocked out by Charlo, he has been. I don't want to say chinny similar to what you're saying about Tony Harrison because they'll get up and they'll fight and they got they got a fighter's heart as Erickson Lubin proved you know and looking at his face and how he just was almost unrecognizable at at the end of it but um I think he gave a good account of himself from what I've seen he he actually dropped Fandora he was in the fight it's just that he took so much punishment and I'm gonna look at it as like Fandora's height and his ability to to use the uppercuts in the, in, in the position he was in was phenomenal. It was great. You know what I mean? Most, a lot of guys who are tall, you know what I mean? I don't want to say a lot, but some guys who are tall who like to get in the mix like he does tend to not be able to use their height and understand how to throw certain punches for their height, even if they're going to be aggressive. And I think he passed that particular test in this. And in general, when you see him fight, guys who are obviously going to be considerably shorter um he handles that well even being aggressive so it was really good to see that if you're a backer of fundora but he did still take punches and this wasn't a cream puff he had in front of him this is a good fighter a guy like i said i hold it really high regard i feel like he's you know could he he, he was a short i don't want to say a short bet because you could never bet or guarantee that anybody's going to be uh, a world champion. It's just, un, you know, it's, it's, it's unwritten. It has to be, it's something that has to happen. And, and you have to have the, the, you know, the situation, there's got to be a lot of, a lot of things in your favor in order for that to happen. That's just, that's just, that's just the way it is. But in this situation, um, he, like I said, Fedora had a guy in front of him that was serious, a serious threat for, you know, a title in the future and all of those things. And he took care of business. You know what I mean? I can't, can't take anything away from him. Um, uh, he, he put a lot of hands on Lubin, man. It was it's just unfortunate to see what happened to him. And I felt like I said, I felt like he had such a promising future. But now with all that punishment he's taken, and you know, I used to have conversations with my manager back in the day. He used to say, man, you look at fights like that. It's like a guy just had like three or four fights in one, and it's just like, how can you recover from that? But some guys do, you know what I mean. And and it's not to say that he won't get back to where he was or, you know, have, or even how he was in this fight before it all went bad. But I would advise for him to take a good long break. You know what I mean? Completely recover. You know, he's, he's probably got some concussions. He's some, he's probably been concussed in a lot of ways, obviously in that fight took a lot of punishment. People, you know, some guys don't survive those fights. So I think, I think it's important for him to take a lot of time off, really evaluate things and, Take his, take his time getting back, you know, before he decides to jump in there and, and fight or even spar for that matter, you know. As far as Fondora, you know, I just say go back go back to the drawing board. He did really well. Obviously, he won the fight, stopped him. Uh, but uh, don't go to sleep morning like you just, you know, done everything perfectly because, you know, getting dropped in a fight, in my estimation, is not – it's not a perfect fight. It's exciting for people to see, but if you're a top-level prospect and you're to, you're looking to be a world champion, you got to correct the flaws that put you in position to be put on the floor. And I think for him, uh, that's an important aspect that he needs to overlook. You know what I mean? Not overlook. Uh, he needs to look at. 
and 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 pay attention to heavily and and not just that, but there's other things and, you know, getting, putting yourself in position, getting a little too overzealous with, with your offense and your activity uh, and stuff like that. When you're that big of a target and close, you, you got to understand what you need to do and be defensively responsible just as you are offensively responsible. So, you know, good job, good win for him, but he still needs to correct a lot of things before he uh, considers himself a real high level contender. And you just spoke about guys having four fights in one night. And that brings me on perfectly to the next man, which this one was um, on the Alamo Dome, San Antonio, Texas, the zone card. Gabe Rosado, who I think sometimes has had about 10 fights in one night. But over here, I was shocked. And I lost a bit of money on this, to be honest, because I thought he would handle Shane Mosley Jr., who we said has certainly been improving. And for me, I mean, it's the it's the most impressive performance of his career thus far I was really really not expecting that and I felt if it went the distance he would probably gas out because I think there's times before where he has gassed out a bit um I remember him losing to Jason Quigley now it's making me think that probably Quigley should fight Rosado because I don't think that Quigley would be able to beat Rosado but I didn't think that Mosley would be able to beat Rosado it's a bit of a weird triangle theory there but um, yeah, Rosado losing a majority decision should have never been a majority decision, I don't think. I think he won, uh, lost quite clearly. But Shane Mosley Jr., I mean, 18-4 and four now, not the prettiest sounding resume or record, but I really was so impressed with him, man. I think he, he is just getting better and better. It's as simple as that. He kind of has been learning on the job a lot. You know, you can see from performance to performance, he's improving in all areas, really. And the conditioning as well, you know, like... Yeah, I thought he'd be be a bit tired and gassed out, but no, he didn't seem to. And um, I liked his punch picking and stuff, and the fact that he could, you know, fight at range and box, and it was just clever, man, really clever from him. I was really impressed. Elsewhere on that card, Patrick Texera, um, I didn't see this at all, but he was disqualified for an intentional rabbit punch. Um, that I think maybe knocked out his opponent. So he's now 31-3. and three. Uh, The guy that won, Paul Valenzuela Cuesta, who's now 28-12. and 12. Um, Good win as well for Marlin Esparza down at flyweight. She's now the WBC and WBA female flyweight champion. It was a unification against the under... Well, not undefeated, but she hadn't lost for years, I don't think. Naoko Fujioka, who's now 19-3 and three with a draw. Unanimous decision over 10 two-minute rounds. In embarrassed, uh, sorry, I was going to say incredibly and embarrassing at the same time, but yeah, incredibly embarrassing, embarrassing decision uh, or, or scorecards, I should say, by the referees, uh, not by the referees, by the judges. I'm really getting a bit confused in this last 10 seconds, but on one card, it was a total shutout. Um, it was a super close fight, to be honest. It could have gone either way, so those scorecards were disgraceful. And the judge who gave it 100 to 90, Wilfredo Esperon. Um, Lisa Giampa had it 97-93 and the other uh, judge I think it was Jesse Reyes can't remember what his card was now but um, yeah they was way too wide disgusting to be honest with you um, you know Fujioka made it rough for Esparza Esparza was kind of like picking her shots better and you know the movement was good and yeah just kind of picking her shots better really but Naoka uh, Fujioka was the lady coming forward, putting the pressure on, and the punch stats at the end when they showed them, they were like literally single digits, I think, between the, the, the pair. It was really close, you know, so how you could not give her a single round on one card was disgusting. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm going to jump to the main event real quick, Eddie, and then I'll come to you because I know that you watched some of this the zone card. But Ryan Garcia now 22 and 0. Um, his opponent Emmanuel Tago now um, 32 and 2. A unanimous decision over 12 there for Ryan Garcia. This one, um, as I say, was on the zone. Um, Tago down in round two. Obviously, we knew the the backstory. Tough guy. Um, Lost his pro debut, went on to win 32 fights in a row before Saturday night. Uh, Ryan Garcia with the layoff, the mental health, uh, you know, starting to train under Joe Goosen. Um, at times, I really liked what I was seeing from Garcia. Um, I can't say I was paying mega attention, to be honest, now that, now that I'm trying to kind of remember what happened, but... I like the way some people were criticizing it, but I think that Ryan Garcia cuts off the ring really well, but some people were saying he doesn't. So I'm not sure about what you think about that, Eddie, but obviously he's got good power, very quick hands. The speed and power for me are probably my two favorite assets in boxing, speed and power. I think he's got both. He's an excellent counter, uh, counter puncher, particularly with that left hand. I really like his left hook. It's almost like a bit of an upper hook. Um, but yeah, if he can stay on track, I think he's going to be such a good fighter. I've always felt that. Um, so yeah, what was your take on that? Obviously a win for him, but some people are a little bit frustrated that he didn't get the African out of there. You know, that's, this is the thing that kind of upset me with the whole night. I was out with family and, um, I almost forgot about the card and all together. And I was like, I don't know, I'm going to turn this fight on. With, with, you know, being out with family, you don't want to just all of a sudden start watching a fight and nobody expects to you have to sit and watch something that you want to watch only. So I realized, oh, I got the zone. Turn on my phone. So I turned it on and I caught the, the last one I was able to see was the Marlon Esparza fight. So I couldn't see, I didn't even see Shane Jr. and in, 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 uh, in Gabe, Gabe Rosado, which I really wanted to see that too. And then I wanted to kind of look at the, you know, the, the main event too. I wanted to see Ryan Garcia, how he would do with this, with this guy to go. I wanted to see, um, but I just couldn't. And then I had to drive like two hours home, so I couldn't watch it while I'm driving. You know what I mean? So it was kind of unfortunate. But um, just hearing what people are saying about they expected to get him out of there. I mean, one thing about boxing, one thing about the sport in general, it's really difficult to just go in and knock somebody out, even if the guy is not even on your level. Even if the guy is just clearly trying to survive, in fact, if a guy's just trying to survive and just trying to go the distance, it's even harder to knock him out because all he has to do is not get knocked out. He's not trying to win. He's not trying to do anything. All he's trying to do is not get knocked out. So there's a big misconception on a lot of what people think and what people expect from high-level fighters. And he is not a bum. He's a high-level fighter. He fought a lot of, you know, I'm saying a lot of guys, but he fought guys on the way up and he fought. 31 guys that he beat before he faced Ryan Garcia. So we just got to give Ryan Garcia a little bit of credit. You know what I mean? Where, you know, like he won the fight. He dominated the fight. He dropped the kid. He did everything. You know, he won. At the end of the day, if it didn't look great in most eyes, look great the next one. You know what I mean? It doesn't excuse him if he didn't do what he was supposed to do. But in this case, sometimes a lot of people are really, really, you know, because I don't know, he's, I guess he's a guy some people love to hate. I don't know. You know what I mean? Some other fighters may have a little hate in their heart because of the way he looks and because of all of the press he gets. You know what I mean? I don't subscribe to that kind of thought, that those kind of things. I, If he does well as a fighter, regardless of what he looks like and all of that, or because regardless of all the press he gets, he still should be given a pass for, uh, for a performance, especially if it's not so bad. You know what I mean? But um, oh, I watched the Marlon Esparza fight, 
and I didn't even hear the car, by the way. Uh, I didn't know, but I did hear one that was kind of crazy, and I heard the, I heard the uh, commentators talking about it. I didn't really know what they said. I just know she ended up winning. And I didn't know when you just said those cards, I was shocked. I actually thought the girl, the other woman, the older woman, the 46-year-old, I thought she did really well. I thought, don't get me wrong, I thought Marlon Esparza pulled it out at the end. But I thought that thing was, you know, last round, whoever wins the last round or, you know what I mean, could, could win the fight type of thing. It was really that close. I felt like she brought the fight. She threw multi. She threw a lot of punches. She kept. She she landed some good shots. I think one actually shook Esparza at one point. Um, but what I did like about Marlon Esparza, her head movement was good. She made her miss a lot. You know, and I'm not gonna say a lot, but she made her miss in some spots. Counter punched pretty well. Used her jab every now and again pretty decently. Um, it was it was interesting the fight. It was a it was a good contrast. It was like you know the bull matador type thing. And then I liked that she tried to stay in there and land some shots. You know it, it land some big shots. Uh, uh, you know in the middle of the ring a little bit. But um, and most and, and I'm I'm listening to the commentators. They're saying you know she needs to use her you know range and space and land counter shots, which I agree with to a degree. But if you give too much ground to a person who's being aggressive, it's just gonna keep on she's just gonna continue to be aggressive she continue to be aggressive and your punch count is gonna go down hers is gonna go up which then in turn gives her the ability to start winning rounds so i do like the fact that she stood in and and not so much traded but at close range she she um she used some of the you know six like counter shots at close range different things you know counter right hands counter hooks different stuff or stuff like that i like which i like her punch selection at close range at times but sometimes she was waiting a little bit too much, and I think the girl, I was out hustling her at times. And I think that, in that situation, that could have been where, at the end of the fight, I don't know. I, I, like I said, I think she pulled it out, but definitely not wide. Um, and to go in on um, Mosley Jr. And, and, and Gabe Rosado, which really upset me, I couldn't even see the fight. I really wanted to see it. And what you're telling me about how Shane was and how he was, uh, how he improved is you know through you know boxing from the outside landing counter shots or whatever he was doing um and to to hear that Gabe didn't go and do what I would have expected him to do especially looking at Shane's last fight against Jason Quigley and him losing and legitimately pretty much losing the fight even though it was a good fight um I was just expect I would have expected Shane to get in there with with uh, Rosado do the same thing, you know what I mean? Try to slug it out, try to, try to, you know, land big shots and all that, take shots or whatever. So I would have expected Gabe to win that fight. But it's nice to hear, man. It's nice to hear the young guy's improving. You know, he's getting better. You know, hopefully that uh, that win will do something for him, even though kind of kind of gutted for Gabe because you know I know the guy and he's a he's a good dude from Philly. So um, and he's had a decent career, even though it's been it's been hell. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's been good for everybody else. And good for him at times, but it's been kind of rough for him too. So, but um, yeah, I wish I would have been able to see those, though, that fight too. Okay, my man. Well, yeah, that is it though for the review part of the show. The final thing for me to do just before we wrap up part one is to welcome our special guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the highly touted undefeated prospect with a 100% knockout ratio. It is, of course, Mr. Ernesto Mercado. Ernesto, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you for having me, Joey. I appreciate it. 
Hey, it's my pleasure, my friend. So, Ernesto, first things first, man. Obviously, as I said, uh, 100% knockout ratio, 4-0, 4 KOs, 3 in the very first round. We'll get to that in a moment. But tell me about the amateurs. Am I right in saying, Ernesto, that you had almost 300 amateur fights, winning over 280 of them? It's crazy. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's been a long journey for me. Uh you know, with that two, with the 300 amateur fights, I have a uh, 22-time national champion. Uh, like you said, I, my amateur record is 290 and uh, 10 losses. And, you know, I was the 2020 Olympic alternate for the U.S. And I was going to represent Nicaragua for the Olympics, uh, fortunately, because of COVID. Uh, the Argentina canceled the qualifiers, but had a great amateur experience. And uh, I'm ready to take it on to the pros. Yeah, as you mentioned there, obviously an Olympic alternate uh, in 2020 for that USA boxing team, which was very talented, as it always is. Um, although you didn't obviously get to box in the Olympics, you were still right there, of course. Would you class that, Ernesto, as your best achievement on a personal level um, as an amateur? Or if not, what is your best amateur achievement personally to you? Um, I guess, I mean... My... I could say yes and no because I mean I was I was almost there, you know. Uh the, my greatest amateur achievement would have been to be able actually to compete in the Olympics. Unfortunately, like I said, because of COVID, I wasn't able to. Uh getting that gold medal would have been a dream come true for me. That would have been my highest achievement. It's like almost reaching a pinnacle, but you know, falling short because of some, you know, obviously some circumstances, uh, uh some global pandemic that we had. But I think just uh me dominating, having, you know, so many wins and, and being number one for so long, I think that's probably my greatest achievement. Yeah, that is unbelievable, my friend. And just briefly, because I know that you've spoken in other interviews about this, so I want to keep it brief. I don't want you to have to repeat everything, every single interview. But obviously, it's known that your father got you into boxing. Tell me about that. There's obviously a lot of father-son partnerships in boxing. What makes yours different or special, I guess? Ours, I think ours is uh, special because, I mean, as far as, you know, coming in the gym, we know our roles. You know, we don't – a lot. I see a lot of uh, father and sons, they mix uh, – they have mixed emotions when they get to the when the, the gym. They, they still think they're father and son. I think me and my dad, we know how to separate those roles and do what we do best. You know, this is business at the end of the day, and we know how to separate that. And we work great together, man, and there's no uh, – there's always good harmony around us. That's excellent, man. I like the way you say that you leave it at the door kind of thing. It's time to work, and then when you go out the gym, it's back to father-son. Um, obviously, we touched on we touched on it, Ernesto. The, the coronavirus happened, so those 2020 Olympic Games took place in 2021. Uh, it was pretty much right after that that you decided to turn pro, obviously making your debut in July. You box again in September and October. You end the year 3-0, and uh, and then obviously just so far this year, you've just had the one fight back in February in which you picked up your third first round knockout. If you can, Ernesto, just sum up for me those four fights. Uh, what was the experiences like? I know that one of them was in Georgia. The rest have been at home in Cali. What's it been like so far, my man? Uh, my first fight was a little different. You know, I had a, you know, a lot of times, you know, you got a lot of, uh, how do you say, kind of like criticism, you know, of amateurs sometimes don't have the, the capability to transition to the pros. And, you know, <laughs> That was kind of my thing in the beginning. You know, I was like, what if, you know, I'm one of those uh, statistics, I guess. But, you know, once I got in that ring, uh, it just took me a couple of matter of like a minute or so to actually adjust in the ring. And 
after that, I felt natural, you know. It was just something that my experience just picked right back up, and I felt good, and I got the knockout in the second round. And then from there, I just continued my streak. I felt like I was uh, a very, I'm very strong. Uh, a lot of guys, they can't carry the power to the amateurs, or they just don't have power, and, and I felt like I have that. So, you know, when I see the opportunity, I take it, and, I, and I've been knocking out these guys in the first round. Yeah, that's right. The pro debut went into round two. Since then, everything's ended in a round. Um, all of your pro fights so far, you've kind of weighed in just underneath or just over 140. Will that be your weight class for the near future, or are you more of a lightweight, perhaps? Yeah, right now we're just doing catch weights, but uh, I'm planning to, you know, when I get a, a specific opportunity or, or shot, uh, we're going to fight at 135, which is lightweight. Okay, perfect. And getting on to your next fight, you'll be boxing this Thursday, so not long uh, to go. It's going to be taking place at the Hangar in Costa Mesa, a six-round contest against Daniel Evangelista Jr. Now, Daniel is so much more experienced than you in the pro ranks. I mean, this guy's been in with uh, with world champions. I think he mixed it with, um, oh man, he slipped me, the guy that he boxed, the former champion now. Uh, God, that's embarrassing. He bo- he got in there with um. Oh, I can give you a totally. couple names. I know off top. Uh, I know he boxed with Isaac Cruz and Hank Lundy. Off top, I know those yes. two. Yes, yeah, they're obviously Isaac Cruz, a, a tough contender. Hank Lundy. He got in there with. It's completely escaped me right now. Argenis Mendez, that's the guy. Argenis Mendez. He got in there with him, a former world champion. So, yeah, like I say, he's he's very experienced, been in there with these top contenders. He's got five times the amount of wins as you do at the moment. This is such a big step up for just your fifth fight. How excited are you to get in there and make a statement, which I think is clear to see you want to do taking on a guy like this in your fifth fight? Oh, man, it's something that I've been wanting, you know. Uh, if I could have done that for my first, second fight, I would have done that. But, you know, these guys, they have a they have a, a good uh, kind of sense of uh, why I'm trying to take those fights, and they, they kind of back away from me. But, you know, this guy took the fight, and he has a lot of experience, and I'm, I'm just looking to steal that experience from him and beat him down, obviously, you know. Um, as far as him having all that experience in the pro ranks, I think that's great because, you know, it's something that I want. Not a lot of prospects so young or so uh with so little fights will take a fight like that especially him having 20 fights and 16 of them by knockout which shows that he has knockout power um i just want to show that why i'm different from the rest of these fighters that are that are uh brought up in my uh, brought up in my era i guess you could say and in daniel's last fight it was only a six rounder but he had two points deducted one was for hitting his opponent behind the head the other one was for twisting his opponent's arm what would happen ernesto if he were to try these same kind of dirty moves on yourself, how would you handle something like that in the pros? I would bite him like Mike Tyson. <laughs> now I'm playing. <laughs> now, um, I, I, I've seen his fights, but um, we, we, kind, we kind of, for this fight, we had a game kind of, kind of our distance. We know he's a dirty fighter, so we're just going to keep our distance and uh, not let him have the uh, opportunity to do such things to me. Let's hope not. We don't want anyone getting bitten. Um, <laughs> I want to ask you as well, Ernesto, have you managed to spar with some big names? And if so, what are some of the bigger names that you've managed to spar with over the years, amateur or pro? Uh, overall, uh, through my career, I've, I've been able to spar, you know, guys like uh, Chocolatito, wow. uh, Mark Masayo, who's just uh, got the WBC championship, you know, um, and a lot of great prospects that, that have been coming up, you know, and, I, I, out of all of them, I think Chocolatito is probably the one that um, I gained the most experience from. He's such a great fighter, you know, pound for pound, uh, and a Hall of Famer. So I definitely learned a lot from him. 
Wow, that's amazing. I wasn't expecting that name to be thrown out there. That is, that's incredible. Um, okay, and just coming down to my final couple questions, I want to ask you, I'm not sure how much of a big boxing fan you are, as well as a participant, but over here, a huge fight going down in the heavyweight division in two weeks' time. Um, Tyson Fury and Dillian White, do you have an opinion on that fight? You're going to be watching it. Who do you think is going to win? Any interest? Yeah, no, of course. Uh, I think that uh, Tyson Fury is going to make easy work of it. I think uh, he's just such a great boxer, man. It's hard to, when a guy's on his peak and, you know, it's kind of like Canelo. When he's on his peak, man, it's kind of hard to get him off of his rail. And he's just a guy that's, um, I mean, he's just sharp, man. It's going to be hard to take him off. I think that Tyson Fury knocks him out in the later rounds between seven and maybe eight. And that's how I have it. Okay, I like that. That's a that's an interesting uh, prediction there. Um, and just finally, I like to ask this question to everyone that we speak to from overseas. And um, I never like to give anyone a warning. I'm kind of putting everyone on the spot that I ask this question to. So no pressure here. I know you're only 20 years of age, so I'm not expecting you to give me a fighter from 50 years ago. But when I ask you, who's your favorite fighter from the UK, if you have one? Um, any era. So like I say, Anyone who who springs to mind, if you have from the one. UK, from the UK, um, and this is gonna surprise you because I, I'm not, I'm almost hundred percent sure he is from the UK, but hopefully he is. My favorite fighter is Prince Nassim Ahmed. Oh yeah, hell yeah, hell I, yeah. And you know, he's so unorthodox, and he was such an entertainer, man. I love I love watching his fights, uh, you know, and just the weird punches that he comes out at angles and stuff like that, man. I loved it, man. Wow, I tell you what, that's the most popular answer everyone says prince nasim uh hamed everyone loves him of course and just finally before we wrap it up ernesto if you've got any closing words to anyone that may be listening to this and also um where can people follow you on social media before before we let you go you can follow me on social media on everything whether it's instagram facebook at real tito mercado and as far as you know my last message man stay tuned uh, uh stay tuned uh Fight Club OC Instagram. Check it out. They're going to be streaming the fight. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be another first-round knockout. There we go. Another first-round knockout. And just, if you can, just spell that out for me where people where people can watch that so that people are definitely in the right place. Yeah, you can check it out on the Instagram at Fight Club OC. Fight Club OC. Okay. And again, for, for those that are listening, you can follow... Mr. Ernesto Mercado at Real Tito Mercado on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, the rest of it. Listen, Ernesto, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you, my friend. Thank you for your time and best of luck for Thursday evening. Thank you for your time, man. I appreciate you. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. We're going to start here with this one. Uh, friend of the show, Jazza Dickens. His next fight has been announced. It's going to be April 22nd. He gets in with um, former European champion Andoni Gargo of Spain. And I tell you what, it's a great, great fight. I actually like the matchmaking there from Probellum. Um, Jazza Dickens coming off was it a loss? I think to oh yeah, it was. I think it was a loss to Galahad. I think that's a, that's a quite a tough fight. I think to come back to here, it's going to be interesting. Jazz is going to have to you know be on be on top form there. Um, Galaoya fight as well. He's going to be making his American debut on the undercard of Taylor Serrano again. That's going to be um, that is going to be May thirtieth. At no, sorry, it's April thirtieth at the uh, the Madison Square Garden. Cannot wait for that card. By the way. Um, 
Michaela Mayer as well, we mentioned her in the review part of the show. She's re-signed with top rank, so it looks like she's going to be there for the foreseeable future. It's a good move. Big fan of Michaela Mayer. Um, Yeah, also Floyd Mayweather to make a return to the ring. He's going to be getting in with a guy called Dangerous Don Moore, who I don't know anything about, so I'm probably the worst person to to talk about this with. But um, yeah. This guy uh, and and Mayweather are going to be getting it on in Dubai, as I said. It's going to be taking place in a boxing ring on a helipad um, on the top of a hotel, which is just insane. But, you know, it's boxing, so who knows. Um, Elsewhere, 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 elsewhere. No, I think that's probably just about it for the news part of the show. Moving on now to the preview part of the show. This one takes place tomorrow at the York Hall, Bethnal Green, London. Gavin Gwynn, 14-2, getting in with the undefeated 11-0. Luke Willis over 12 rounds there for the vacant British and the Commonwealth lightweight titles. Elsewhere on the card, Sultan Zorbeck, 12-0 in a 10-rounder against Nicholas Botelli, who's 11-6. Sam Gilly, friend of the show, 13-1, defending his English super welterweight title against the undefeated 12-0. Drew Brown over 10 rounds there. All the best there to Sam Gilly. Um... Female fighter to look out for Nina Hughes, one and zero in an eight two minute round contest. Uh, eight two minute round contest against Beck Connolly, who's nowadays three and twelve. Don't really want to see her carry on, to be honest with you. And elsewhere on the card, Pierce O'Leary, the undefeated prospect, eight and zero in an eight rounder against Nathan Augustine, who is eight three and one. Sorry, that's completely wrong. Four three and one. My apologies. Moving out now to the Hall Omnisport in Belgium. Really decent fight, I think. It's going to be really for the hardcores, I guess. But Francesco Patera, um, former European champion, 25 and 3, in a 10 rounder against Spain's Samuel Molina, who's 19 and 1. He was ticking all the boxes, Molina. I, I actually tipped him as perhaps one of Spain's brightest future stars. But he lost. He got knocked out, I think it was last year. Um, in in a you know it's a good fight but he got knocked out so he's kind of on the comeback trail i think he's picked up a couple wins back in spain this one is in belgium it's a big step up and it's kind of a must win really if he wants to get back to that level it's over 10 rounds for the vacant wbo global lightweight title moving out now to the manchester arena in lancashire united kingdom this one's going to be on the zone we've got campbell hatton on the undercard 6 and 0 in a 6 rounder against league lover who's 11 and 9 um we've got Alicia Baumgardner, 11-1, defending her WBC and IBO female super featherweight world titles. She gets in with Lucas Matisse's sister, Edith Matisse, who is, of course, from Argentina. 11 uh, losses. Um, she's got a draw. She's got 17 wins. It's over 10 two-minute rounds, of course. She's 41 years of age, though, I think, now. And of her... Um, 29 pro fights, only one KO win, so she doesn't carry the power that Lucas La Machina uh, used to have. Um, Elsewhere on the card, a brilliant fight as well. It's a rematch. It was really close, the first one. I'm really eager to see how this one unfolds. Chris Billum-Smith, 14-1, gets in with Tommy McCarthy, 18-3. That one's for the EBU uh, European and Commonwealth Cruiserweight titles. And, of course, the main event... 
Happy for him, really, to be headlining in Manchester. He's getting all over the place. Connor Ben, 20-0, gets in with Chris Van Heerden, who is 28-2 with a draw. It's over 12 rounds for the WBA Continental Welterweight title. Um, Chris Van Heerden, in the last fight, it was that one against Jaron Ennis, where he got cut. And it was in the first round, it was a bad head clash, and they stopped the fight. Hasn't been seen since then. That was almost a year and a half ago. Um... Every picture I've seen of Chris Van Heerden, he's in really, really good shape. So, from quite a long way out, he looks like he's in great shape. I think he's going to be bang up for this. He's had a lot of time out the ring to reflect and prepare. He's had a lot of notice as well. And it's a southpaw for Conor Ben. And off the top of my head, I can't remember if um, or, or, or when he's been in with a southpaw, to be honest, in recent times. So, that could be quite interesting. We shall see. Not expecting it to be too interesting though I think Conor Ben should have too much especially at this stage of Van Heerden's career moving out now to the Telford International Centre in Shropshire United Kingdom this one's going to be on BT Sport um Jason Cunningham 30 and 6 defending his EBU European Super Bantamweight title against um I think he's from France I'm going to assume he is Terry Le uh, Le Couvoir who is 16 and 0 undefeated um Elsewhere on that card, Nathan Heaney, 14-0 in a 10-rounder against Diego Ramirez, who's 24-6 with a draw for the IBO International Middleweight title. We've got Andrew Kane, 8-0, fighting for the vacant WBC International Silver Super Bantamweight title against Pablo Gomez, who's 15-10 with two draws. few prospects as well getting out on the undercard. Bradley Thompson, Macaulay Owen, Brad Strand, George Bantz, George Davey, Owen Cooper, and Ethan James. All the best to all those guys there. And moving out to the final card to mention, it takes place at the AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, USA. Very good card, actually. Um, a lot of great fights. We've got Brandon Lee, 24 and oh, I think he must have, what, 22 KOs in a 10-rounder against Zachariah Choa, who's 21 and 2. We've also got Jose Valenzuela, 11-0, fighting for the vacant WBC Continental America's lightweight title against former world champion Francisco Vargas, 27-3 with two draws. Great fight as well between Isaac Cruz, 22-2 with a draw coming off that loss last time out to Javante Davis. He gets in with Uriokis Gamboa, who's 30-4 these days. We've got Cody Crowley, 20-0 in a 10-rounder against Josecito Lopez, who's 38-8. I think Crowley's right up there in the rankings with the with the I think it's the W oh no the IBF I think it is so I think he's going to be kind of in line or soon going to be a mandatory I hope I'm not making that up or confusing him with someone else great fight as well I love this fight on the undercard I wasn't even sure it was part of this undercard until I've just seen it now um we've got two undefeated guys clashing um, Radzab Butayev, who's 14-0, he gets in for the WBA welterweight world title against, it's over 12 rounds against, Imantis Stanionis, who's 13-0. Um, Butayev, obviously, the Russian fighter, got that win last time out against Jamal James. I remember watching that fight, but I can't remember what happened now, to be honest, in that one. Uh, I think he might have just annihilated James, if I can remember correctly. Um, but Stanionis... Coming off that no decision where there was the head clash against Louis Colazzo back in August of last year. But, you know, a couple good wins. They've both got some good wins on their records. I think it's a fight that almost makes no sense, to be honest with you. Lithuanian against a, um, against a Russian. And they're kind of, I mean, 13-0, 14-0, like... 
they don't need to fight each other, but I respect them for both getting in there. But then again, it's for a WBA or a version of a WBA world title. So, I mean, if you're not going to risk it for a world title, what are you going to risk it for? So maybe they both should be doing this. But I like I like the matchup. They're both kind of, you know, young in their career pros, I guess you'd say. Only 13 and 14 fights in. And the main event for the WBC, WBA and IBF welterweight world titles. Errol Spence, 27-0, getting in with your Dennis Ugas, 27-4, over 12 rounds. Um, don't want to go in on this too much, to be honest with you. I've always had back and forth with Spence fans on Twitter and stuff. And I've always said, I think he's a little bit of a weight bully. I think he likes to fight... Um, much smaller guys coming up, and I wanted to see him in with one of the bigger guys in the division, you know, I wanted to see him in with someone that has the same sort of size, I mean, there's not many, because he is massive for the weight Spence, and always has done, but, you know, people like to pull the Kell Brook card out the bag, he beat Kell Brook, you know, that's a great win, yeah, it was a good win, but we know the circumstances that he was coming down from middleweight, he crashed a weight, very, very tight, a smashed eye socket, um, but other than that, um, I've always kind of looked at Spence and felt, yeah, he's a little bit of a weight bully just in the fact that he's been in there with the likes of um, Chris Algieri. I think Leonard, I think it was Leonard Bundu, a 140 fighter at one stage, can't remember. Um, he's been in there with with uh, Chris Van Heerden, who we mentioned, uh, Lamont Peterson, a guy moving up, of course, Danny Garcia, a guy moving up, Mikey Garcia, a guy moving up, Sean Porter was a great win, but of course was very close, could have gone either way, uh, it was a split decision, and um, yeah, I like this fight, because I've always wanted him to take on someone like Ugas, who is big as well for the weight, only thing is, I mean, Ugas is coming off that great win against Pacquiao, that was excellent, he boxed tremendous there, and Pacquiao seemed to have slowed down, but the only thing is, I don't know if Ugas has got the activity, the the athleticism to match Errol Spence. Um, I don't think he's going to be busy enough. I can see Spence hurting Ugas as well, um, particularly to the body. He's a good body puncher, Errol Spence. So I'm not sure how it's going to end. I don't know if we're going to see Ugas get knocked out for the first time in his career or not. But um, I think I'm riding with Spence. But I applaud the fight. I do. And I've wanted Ugas. He's on the very short list of names I want to see Spence fight with the likes of uh, you know, um, uh, Crawford and a few other guys that for, for for the minute I can't even think of. But there's interesting fights for him to have. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, I've wanted him to fight a guy like Ugas. Ugas was on that list of people I'd like to see him in with. It's finally happening. Doesn't mean I'm picking Ugas. I think he can cause some issues. He always does. He's never an, an easy puzzle to solve. Still got Ishmael Salas in the corner with him, I think, who's a real mastermind technician. Um, Errol Spence, you guys, Eddie, have your say before we wrap it up, my man. Well, man, this is a, this is a, I think it's a fan-friendly fight for sure, um, but I also think it's a fighter's fight. You know what I mean? Because you know, guys is not really uh, a humongous name that everybody would want to see Spence in with. I think at this stage, everybody wants to see the Crawford Spence fight. So. <clears throat> The you guys fight is kind of like, eh, you know, I guess, you know, it's nice to see Spence out. That's what most people think, but we'll feel. But this to me is a great matchup. This is a good, a good entertaining, uh, possibly entertaining fight. I'm pretty sure it's going to be entertaining because we know Spence don't, don't doesn't generally want to take a backward step. And he's real, real uh, uh, nice with the punches. He, he's, 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 he's really aggressive. He likes to put his hands on most guys that he fights too realizes that, and I think uh, Danny Garcia was one 
uh, one of obviously the most recent one when we seen him, you know, and Danny generally is really selective, but uh, he just, he just punches, man. And he punches with a good season, a good selection of punches as well. Good body puncher, well-rounded offensive fighter. So, um, you know, he's really, really, it's going to be really interesting to see him now against somebody as, as uh, creative as you guys. And he's busy himself. Good, good, good range. You know what I mean? Which we, we kind of pointed that out, Joe, that they're both pretty big welterweights. So, they're both pretty got some, got some range on them. Um, it's going to be really, really interesting. I'm excited to see this fight. Um, when I heard about it, when it was announced and everything, that it was it was a, it was one that I was definitely one, wanting to watch. So um, I think I'm going to go with Spence. You know, in this, I mean, I think you guys has, you know, and this is an opportunity for him too, is to really prove himself even further, even after what he's done with uh, Pacquiao, because most people are saying, oh, Pacquiao lost a step. Even though I think Pacquiao's performance in that fight still wasn't too bad, it was just I think Ugas stepped up to, stepped up his uh, pace and, and, and he really wanted it. But uh, in this fight, he's going to have to prove again. You know what I mean? Ugas is that he's that he's ready for this level, and we're talking about the elite of the elite in the division at this point, and we're talking about current elites. So um, this is his opportunity as well as this is Spence's opportunity, uh, opportunity to you know put that whole car accident thing behind him. You know what I mean? And for people to understand that the eye now, he has the, you know, he is recovering from the detached retina now. So you know, he's, he's got a few things he's got to prove too, that everything is back in order for him. And I think uh, that's going to prove to be an extremely exciting fight. Cause I think both guys from both sides have, uh, have, have a lot to prove. And um, like I said, it's going to make for an exciting clash. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, it certainly will be, and I'm looking forward to it. We will be tuned in. That is it, though, for the preview part of the show. In part one, we did the review part. We welcomed our special guest, Ernesto Mercado. He's certainly going to be one to, to look out for in the future. And then in part two, we did the news, which was kind of brief, and the preview part we've just finished there. The final thing for me to do is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 339 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A special thank you to our special guest on this week's podcast, the undefeated prospect, the amateur standout with a 100% knockout ratio as a pro, Mr. Ernesto Mercado. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. Uh, once again, like I say, thank you for tuning in. We're trying to bring back the Prediction League. Um, I think one of one, one or two of you asked me, are we going to start up the Prediction League? We need to do it properly, I think. And there's this kind of thing I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of coming up with. Haven't really thought too much about it, but if anyone wants to get involved, I think we're going to kind of do it like first come, first serve kind of thing. And it's going to be a case where everyone sends one pound, uh, obviously British pound for those American listeners, Everyone sends in one pound, and there's, there's probably going to be about, I don't know, 10 of us, something like that, to get started. And I, I think maybe every week we'll, we'll all uh, pick the winner for one or two fights. We'll have like a group direct message on Twitter with everyone that's in the league, and we'll all throw a pound in, and perhaps at the end of the year, then the winner takes all, whoever's got the most predictions right. So you get like one point for predicting, for example, that. Golovkin's going to knock out Maratta. That's a point right there. So we're looking at doing something like that. So for anyone that wants to get involved in that, please hit me up on social media, on uh, Twitter, preferably at Box Hard Podcast. That's everything, though, from myself. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.